Uh, but that's what the Bible says. Whether you're worshiping God at work or whether it's in your home as a family or whether it's in your neighborhood or whether you're worshiping him through building this kingdom and active service, literally, or whether you're here on a Sunday morning, our whole lives are intended to be a worshipful act before God. And I hope you get that. I hope you just embrace that with all of your heart. Well, we're jumping in again to another chapter of this story. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter, and I know many of you have studied it in small groups. If you, are, by the way, are not in a small group, um, please get into one. Uh, the small group studied the chapters that I preach on the week prior to me actually preaching on them. So you've already got a lot of these ideas in your minds, you've grappled with them, you've talked about them together, and then I come along and, and, uh, and bring similar, but hopefully somewhat different content as well. But if you're in a small group, you have heard the analogy of the frog and the kettle. How many of you have heard the analogy of the frog and the kettle? How many of you knew it before the story? Yeah, it's, it's fairly well known, um, and, but I want to tell you about it, for those of you who may not be as familiar with it as others. The analogy is this, that, or the story is this, it becomes an analogy, that if you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, the frog will jump out because the frog probably senses pretty quickly, I'm in danger and this hurts and I don't want to stay here. Boom, out of the water. But if you put a frog into a pot of lukewarm water, the frog will go, oh, isn't this nice? You know, for those of you who love baths, probably really relate to the frog in the lukewarm water. And the frog being there, if you then slowly turn up the heat, little by little by little by little, that frog won't jump out of the water, even to the point of that water starting to boil so that it kills the frog. Now, I've never done this because I don't want to be accused of animal cruelty. You know, I'd probably get arrested or something. But that's the analogy. Frog in boiling water, out it goes. Frog in lukewarm water, nice. Turn the heat up slowly until it boils. The frog will die. Here's my purpose this morning. Here's my intention for you this morning. I'm here to prove that you're the frog and that you are in lukewarm water. And if I can connect that idea with chapter 13 of the story, I think this morning I will, I will have succeeded. So here we go. Um, the scenario was this. King David has died. And in spite of all his failings and even sins with Bathsheba and Uriah and even other sins that he committed, um, the upper story carries on. God is doing his thing in a powerful way. From Abraham to Sarah to, to, to the formation of the nation of Israel, God is at work and God's purposes will not be thwarted. Ultimately, that nation would produce the person of Jesus, the Savior of the world, etc., etc., etc. God has intention and he is accomplishing his plan, all with the hope of getting us back into relationship with him, that relationship which was so violated in Eden when human, human beings sinned against God and were separated for, from him. God wants us back in relationship with him. So, so critically important. That's his purpose. But King David has died, and Solomon, his son, has been crowned the next king of Israel. Solomon uh, was the son of David and Bathsheba. After the sin with Uriah, David married Bathsheba, and, uh, of course, that child born... In and out of adultery, essentially, he died, but another child was conceived and born, and that was Solomon who became the king. Um, and his reign cannot be described as anything other than magnificent and glorious for the most part. Um, David has set him up. 
the, the realm has been expanded, and, and if you would, under Solomon's reign, Israel reaches its peak in terms of wealth and of power and of influence. Solomon is married, a, a, he does marry a, 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 um, an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter, an alliance is made, everything is great. Ultimately, his success comes from God. God blesses him remarkably in so many ways, but it comes primarily out of an interesting experience that he had with God. I want to read that to you. It's early in his reign. It's page 176 of the story itself. It's uh, 1 Kings 3, verse 5, and what follows. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. What a great question, huh? What would you tell God if he came along to you and said, anything you want, anything you want, I'll give to you? What would you ask him? Well, Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have, uh, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. This is an incredible request and an incredible promise that God agreed to. Solomon stands before God and he said, I need wisdom, and not even for himself, but to govern his people justly and well. And God stands back and he says, I admire what you have done. I am going to give you wisdom like no one else. And he goes on, actually, to say, not only will I give you but I, uh, wisdom, but I will also give you honor and I will give you wealth. And this is exactly what plays out in uh, Solomon's life. Uh, and, and that's what produces this incredible, incredible experience for Israel. Now, this wisdom that Solomon asked for is illustrated just a few verses later. Same chapter. It's page 177. And um, let me see, what is it here? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 Kings. And this is a famous story that most people have heard about even a little bit sometimes, but most people have heard about from the wisdom of this great king. Now, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, Lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son I had born. The woman said, the other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. So they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while the other one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Here's why this man needed wisdom to administer justice, right? 
Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. Then he gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. It's an incredible example of the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. And the people hear about this very story and they, they give him adulation and honor. They think he's a remarkable king. They're so, so glad to have him. Um, the wisdom of Solomon permeates his reign. You know, he goes on to write the, 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 the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes, you know, it's about the meaning of life. And he, and he basically says, you know, material things don't bring happiness. Only God and living in his presence and enjoying what he's given to you brings you, brings you life and joy. Live that way. In the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, you know, it's about romantic love. It's about sexuality. I read in, in preparation for this, and, um, or I heard actually, uh, that, you know, Jewish boys for the longest time weren't allowed, allowed to read the Song of Songs until they were 15. It's pretty spicy stuff. If you've read it, you'll know. But it's about the wisdom of God referencing sexuality uh, in a couple. But then most importantly, I would say there's Proverbs. Proverbs is simply a book full of wise, pithy sayings. I know people who read uh, Proverbs every single year. A year does not go by without, without people reading this book and learning how to live according to the wisdom that Solomon wrote down which came from God and being blessed by it in their relationships and life and their businesses. I want to read just a few to you. Honesty in business, page 179 if you're looking. Oh, no, let me read this for you first. It's, it's um, the beginning of, of the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for instruction, receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and fair and just, for giving prudence to those who are simple. <coughs> Anybody here qualify as simple? Yeah. Sometimes we need it, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And off he goes into this, this book that describes <coughs> in such great detail, excuse me, how to live wisely. Do you ever want to know how to live wisely? Never thought about it? Never been a desire of your heart? It's here, particularly in Proverbs. Of course, it's all over the Bible. But for business, differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Just people who, who, who fix their weights and their scales in order to profit in business unjustly. And Solomon comes along and says, God hates that. Don't do it. Live wisely. Be fair and just and honest. How about gossip? The, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. I love this one about talking too much. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. <coughs> you know anyone who talks too much? And you're looking at me who talks a lot on a Sunday morning. I know, I know. But there's, there's something of significance said there. How about caring for the poor? Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. I need an usher to get me a bottle of water, please. <clears throat> oh, somebody's on his way already. Impressive, impressive. Oh, here we go. Youth pastor's way ahead of that guy, huh? Thank you. That's awesome. But you see, this, this instruction is given, th th this wisdom of God, this truth of God applied to life. 
Solomon writes down so you and I can understand it. It's like given on a silver platter for us to embrace and to live so that we know the goodness of God in our lives. Well, this king of incredible wisdom, he goes on in his reign, he builds the temple that David, his father, was told not to build. God said, no, not you. Your son will do it, but not you. Takes him 13 years to build the first temple in Jerusalem. Magnificent building for the presence of God to dwell in. Um, and in the end, he's given great honor and wealth, as I've said. The queen of Sheba, you've probably heard about that, comes and, and, and visits him and is amazed by his wonders. Let me read page 191 for you. Uh, that is 1 Kings 10, 23. In the end of the day, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Are you hearing what happens when this man embraces the wisdom of God? Incredible blessing flows to him. Uh, he lives the way God calls him to live, and he is blessed. Not in the midst of this, I'm going to back up just a little bit, page 188. In the midst of this season of, of blessing and splendor and majesty and, and an incredible reign, God comes to Solomon with a warning. It's serious. I'm going to read it for you. Let me ask this before I do. Has God ever purposefully and intentionally warned you about anything? Have you ever experienced that of God? God coming along and saying, you need to be really careful. Because this is exactly what he does with Solomon. Let me read it for you. Chapter 9, verse 4. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did, and do all I command, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. Here's the warning. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land. You hear that? It's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years since God has promised the land. The whole process of the Old Testament to this point is giving Israel the land. But God says he will uproot Israel from my land? If this man isn't faithful, the land which I have given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord brought such a thing to this land and to this temple? The people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. This is why he brought all this disaster on them. I want to tell you, my friends, that's a serious warning, isn't it? That's a serious warning to this king at the peak of his reign, receiving the wisdom of God, having been given wisdom and honor in huge measure. But all that God has given to them, the Lord says, I will take away if you turn from me and worship other gods and are unfaithful to what I have called you to. Now, do you know what happens? <laughs> That's exactly what Solomon does. And I want to read this for you. This is page 191. 1 Kings 11, 1 to 13. It's remarkable that he would do it. Not only had he received the blessing, not had, only had he been warned, and he goes ahead and does it. Listen to this. King Solomon, however, there's the word, however, 
loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Amorites, the Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. And if you remember all the way back to Moses before the Israelites went into the land, he was speaking these things. You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Here's another great word. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. You see the contrast between the two drawn twice here? The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God <laughs> spoke to him twice. Didn't matter. Although he had for forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Um, I want to tell you, my friends, Solomon started strong, but he ended incredibly poorly. His, his lower story, God's upper story is carrying on. God has a plan in mind, and we're going to see that play out over the next few weeks. God's Upper story will not fail, but the lower story goes from fabulous to fatal. <laughs> you see, here Solomon is the frog in the kettle. Lukewarm kettle, and the heat gets turned up, and in the end, disaster. He was surrounded by a pagan culture, and that culture slowly influenced him away from obedience to the word of God, away from faithfulness to God himself. Polygamy. 700 wives. Now, that was normal in his day, especially if you were a king of power and wealth and of influence. It's never God's intention. You want to know God's intention, you read Genesis chapter 2, where a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's it. But in spite of that, he did what was normal in the day. Um, it, was, it was, if you would, a, you know, a compromise to the way of the world. And he married foreign women, you know, the, of the nations which surrounded Israel in spite of the explicit command of God repeatedly not to do this. God said that they would turn his heart from God to other gods to serve other gods. In the end, as I've read, he followed other gods. He literally worshipped the idols of the surrounding nations. And he did what was evil. Now, you'd stand back and you'd say, why on earth would he do that? Like, I mean, the man is blessed. The man has encountered God. God. God has given him wisdom. God has blessed him more than any king on earth. Let me suggest a few answers to you. One, one is very simply that he did what was normal. He did what was normal in his day. He did politics like politics was done, intermarrying and taking concubines and so forth. Just made sense to him. Now, let's face it, probably... He just liked the idea of having 700 wives. 
and 300 concubines. And he had the power to make it happen for obvious reasons. And that day, as I've said, it displayed power and wealth. And he probably thought, hey, this isn't that big a deal. I can handle this, you know? I, 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 I won't end up being unfaithful to God. I'm never going to end up worshiping idols. Not me. But in the end, that's exactly what he did. And as the text says, his heart was not fully devoted to his God. The text says he loved his, wife, his wives and he held fast to them. He refused to give them up. Now, I want to suggest to you this didn't happen all at once. Let me put it this way, it happened one marriage at a time, one concubine at a time. Few people who really love God and who are fully devoted to God choose in one instance to walk away and be unfaithful to their God. Solomon's progression was a slow progression. But in the end, he did what was evil in God's eyes to the point of God withdrawing the blessing which ultimately happened. And as I've said, if this is the peak of Israel's glory and power, everything else is downhill from here. And we're going to learn about that. What do we learn? What do we learn from the lower story of Solomon that can apply to the lower story of Chris Little or anyone here? Well, let's start with this. We are surrounded by a pagan culture full of people who worship other gods. If you don't know it, you need to learn what that means and, and know what that means. And I want to tell you, we are not to embrace the way of the culture, but follow in the way of God as we understand that will through his word. Romans 12, 2 says that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Did you hear it? Do not, I'm talking to every one of you, be, do not conform to the pattern of the world. There's a whole culture surrounding us. It has a pattern. It has a way. And the Bible through Solomon and through Romans 12 says, don't go there. Don't live like they live. Don't think like they think. Don't worship the things they worship. But be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which comes through the Holy Spirit of God taking the Word of God and impacting us profoundly and shaking us free from the way of the world so that we follow in the way of Jesus. It's different. It's dramatically different at times, but it's what God calls us to. This God who says, follow after me, follow after me, and I will bless you. Don't miss that. And I want to suggest a critical question for every single serious Jesus follower in this room is this. To what degree have we allowed ourselves to be influenced by the surrounding nations in terms of our thoughts and our behaviors? I'm not asking you whether you do or not. I, I'm asking you to what degree that has happened because to some degree, it's likely to have happened in every one of you, including me, because the culture is powerful in terms of influence. That's a critical question. For us to be faithful to the Lord and to remain so and to know his incredible blessing which he promises to his people. How many here, let me put this another way, love and worship what the world loves and worships? I hope that's a sobering question for you because this is exactly what this text in the story, this chapter of the story is challenging us with. What are the lessons? We cannot allow the culture to determine our ways of thinking and our ways of living. We cannot let it happen. Just because something is normal does not make it right. 
As a matter of fact, because of way, way, where this world of ours has gone, it has rejected the word of God and the truth of God and embraced other ways of thinking. As a matter of fact, chances are if we embrace the way of the world in terms of thinking and behavior, it's more likely we're doing that which violates the will of God. Normal isn't necessarily good. And it can be a very big problem. See, what I'm saying to us here today is that we are the frog in the kettle. We have been born into, can I put it that way, lukewarm water. The culture surrounds us. And we have to be incredibly careful and intentional about what we do. We have got to know what the, wor the, wor <laughs> the gods of this world are and we've got to be careful not to worship them. Over a long time, I've talked to you about what I consider the two primary gods of this culture, this world, this lukewarm water. And I hope you don't get tired of me saying it, but I think in this culture it's sexuality and money or materialism. Uh, look at the text. <laughs> Where did Solomon get in trouble? He loved his wives, all 700 of them and his 300 concubines. He would not let go of his 1,000 women. I was uh, <clears throat> exposed to the teaching of a, an expert in youth ministry some time ago, a couple of years ago, and he was addressing the, idea, the, the reality that a lot of our young people have drifted away from the faith, if not having given it up completely. And he recognized there's a lot of dynamics at work in that, but he, this is, was, was something that was prominent in his mind, and it is this, that Christian kids grow up in the culture that they live in, sexually saturated. It's normal to become sexually active before marriage, and many of them do. Um... They think like the world. They, they process the question like the world. They are taught at school to think the thoughts of the world. It's normal. It's no big deal, they say, and they compromise. Thinking likely, oh, I can do this and still love God. But this is his point. Once they take that step into sexual activity, then they go looking for a belief system which will justify it. And it happens in two ways. Either they go to the Bible and radically reinterpret the Bible, what the Bible actually says about this question in order to justify their behavior, or they simply throw off the belief system altogether and choose not to be Christians anymore because it just doesn't make sense to me. And why does it not make sense to them? Because they're thinking like the world, not like, not like God, because God expresses his mind through scripture. And I thought, oh my goodness, how powerful a comment that is and how likely it is. I'm not that in touch with youth culture, but he certainly was. And with a lot of people who he observed walk in that path. What about materialism? The love of money. Money's not bad. Having a lot of money's not bad. Loving this stuff is a big problem scripturally. I hope you know that. First Timothy chapter 6, if you don't, go study it. Let me ask you this question to make the point. I'm going to ask you essentially, do you worship money? Do you love it? Do you live it? Is it in your heart? Is it your passion? Let me ask you this question. When you go to buy something of significance, think of a house, do you buy more or less? I'm going to tell you the way of the world. The world is you buy as much house as you can possibly have so you can enjoy it. That's what the world says, but is it possible to buy less and to be content with less so that we have more to give away for God and for his kingdom's purposes? You go to buy a car, do you buy the nicest car you possibly can? 
You know, you reach out and you extend because, oh, I mean, I get that. <laughs> or do you buy less so that you're freed up to bless the world with the resources God has given to you and to build his kingdom? You see, see, the idea very simply is who are we living for in the end of the day? We can become our own idol, as you know. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for my purposes. I'm going to do what's good for me. And I'm going to use the money that I have in order to bless me first and sometimes only. The word of God comes along and says, hey, you're not to live for yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And by the way, the resources that you have been given by God, you've been blessed with money. Yeah, it's been given to bless you. I want it to bless you. But I also want you to use it so that through you, I get to bless other people. I get to build my kingdom. I want you to move from a self-oriented, selfish heart to somebody of huge generosity in a way that the world just doesn't understand. I could go on in these things, but I better not. <laughs> I w I'm trying to illustrate there's a way that the world thinks and it's, it's like natural so often for us to think like the world because it's normal and it surrounds us and we're like a frog in a pot, pot of lukewarm water that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And the word of God comes along to us through Solomon's story. The word of the Lord comes to us through Romans chapter 12 and says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Don't think like them and don't live like them as a result, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the scripture impact your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you think in an entirely different way, the way of Jesus, so that you may then might walk in it. And guess why I'm here today? all of you, <laughs> I'm here to challenge you to think a lot about this, to think seriously about this because the end result is potentially fatal. I don't think God wants you to end up like Solomon ended up. He wants you to finish well, honoring him and loving him and serving him with your whole heart. And that leads me to the next point and it's a very, very obvious point. We need to know and learn to apply the word of God. Another, I, <laughs> I didn't plan it to say these things in this way, but I'm just going to really challenge you. Do you know Scripture well? I'm not talking about a superficial knowledge of the Bible that you got when you were in grade five and in Sunday school or whatever. Do you know at a deep level the Word of God so much so that it has transformed your thinking and revolutionized the way you live compared to that of the surrounding nations? You know, we've, we've really embraced this story campaign because we want you to know the story, beginning to end, upper story, lower story, the whole thing. We want you to know God's story. Why? So that we will all end up living in it. But here's the problem. <laughs> Most Christians don't read the Bible, or at least they don't read it very much. It's not a priority. It's not of, some, of significance. It's not something that they give themselves to with intentionality and, 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 and with, with vigor. And as a result, they end up thinking like the world and not like God. It's that simple. So I'm here again to challenge you. Do what you need to do to learn the scripture at a deeper level. Read it devotionally, but also study it. 
I mean, the resources online, we're going to make this easy for you as we, more easy for you as we go forward. We're going to do what we can do to help you do it, but you've got to step in and you've got to make this a priority because if you don't study the Word of God, I'm going to hold up this as if it's the Bible. It's not actually, but it contains a lot of the Bible. If you don't intentionally study the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to transform your mind, guess what? You will live like the world, the culture. You will. It's just, it's just as natural as breathing the air that we breathe unless we intervene and be very intentional about this. Number one, you've got to know Scripture, but then you've got to learn to apply it. You know what wisdom is? It's very simply knowing the truth and then knowing how to apply it to your life. You do that, you'll live a wise life. You will be wise. That's what Solomon does in Proverbs, by the way. That's what the whole Scripture does. Here's the truth of God, and then here's how to live that way. You want to be wise when you're a young Christian teenager? Wait until you're married. I mean, there, th that is, it is so incredibly clear, and for those who choose it, there's such blessing in it. Just wait. Trust God. B actually believe that what he says in the Bible about sexuality is right and good and wise. You want to be wise with your resources? Let this book so change how you think and change your heart that you become a person of incredible generosity like our God. You don't live for money anymore. You certainly don't love this stuff. <laughs> your greatest desire is to worship God with it and to build his kingdom. You'll be blessed. God will give you what you need and, and more. He'll bless you. He wants to bless you. Look what he did with Solomon. But at the same time, hey, this is not our God Yahweh is our God. The God of Israel is our God. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. James says, chapter 1, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And you know what it says? God will give it to you in, in, in heaps, in great abundance. He'll give it to you. Anybody here willing to become like Solomon and close their eyes in the presence of God sometime this week and say, God, I want to be like him. I want you to give me wisdom. What do you think God will do if you do that? He'll give it to you. He will give it to you because he loves you. Last point. Grows right out of the text. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. When the word of God is clear, refuse to take seemingly inconsequential, insignificant steps. Don't think, hey, I'm able to handle this and still love God. When you know what you're doing is contrary to his word. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. Pride goes before, say the word with me, destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. It used to be, and I quoted it last week, the old translation, pride cometh before the fall, King James Version. Don't think you can handle it. Don't think you can compromise even a little bit and still stay faithful to God. Because if nothing else, the story of Solomon tells us that's not likely to happen. The story of Solomon actually tells us it's not going to happen. And the great likelihood is you'll end up worshiping other gods and your heart no longer being wholly, fully devoted to him. You see, it's in the little steps. It's in the thinking and in the behavior that the tragedy comes told you last week, uh, this is a bit of a, a little bit revealing, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I told you last week about my experience with a Netflix series which I was watching and as I was loving. And as I get into it, I began to realize, you know, every, every episode 
you know, nudity and, and, and sexuality is just, this is not godly, not godly. So I thought, of, I thought, oh, I can't watch this anymore. And I thought, you know, well, this is after the fact. Maybe I could use the fast forward function. <laughs> Hopefully I wouldn't see too much. And then honestly, I said, does it really matter that much? And I was studying this, and you know what the Holy Spirit of God spoke into my mind? He said, Chris, do not compromise. Because your first compromise is potentially the, the, the first step in a direction that I do not want you to take. And as I told you last week, I chose not to see episode number five, and I guess I'm not going to. But you see the, you see the power of the culture? Everybody's watching this stuff. What's the big deal? I can handle this. I can stay faithful to God. And I want to tell you, <laughs> if this says nothing else, it says don't compromise. Don't take those little steps to contravene the holiness of the commandments of God. If anything, it says to us, and I want to say it to you, my friends, be careful. Guard your hearts and your minds. Guard the holiness of God. I asked you earlier, by way of conclusion, have you ever been warned of anything by God? Guess what? It just happened. Solomon, in the end, allowed the water to heat up slowly until it boiled him to death. And there's this great contrast at the end of these two chapters, the chapter 12 and chapter 13, that David died and his heart was, he loved God with all of his heart, it says. And here the contrast between David and his son, the son who started so well, blessed so much by God, but whose heart was not fully develop, uh, devo devoted to his God. Um, here's what I want to say to you. I want to say two things by way of conclusion. We're in lukewarm water. We can't avoid it. We can't. It's there. It's powerful. And it's for us to do the work that is required in order to remain holy in the eyes of the Lord. It, if I can put it this way, it's for us to jump out of the water to the extent that that is possible. It is for us with, with intentionality and with passion and with conviction to say, no, I am going to live a holy life before God. I'm going to study his word. I'm going to allow God the opportunity to impact my mind so it is transformed. And out of that transformed thinking, I'm going to live differently than the world. And I don't care what people think. And I don't care what it might bring into my life. As negative sometimes as those realities are, I am going to live fully and completely for my Lord. Are you there? Don't put up your hands. How many people here are fully devoted to God? How many people here are fully and completely committed to the person of Jesus Christ and to living before him in that way? This is what God calls us to, every single one of us. Lukewarm Christianity, if you know Revelation chapter 3, there was a church that was living in a lukewarm way, kind of a neat overlap in terms of that lukewarm reality, Jesus said to them, I would spit you out of my mouth. Don't be deceived, my friends. We cannot play with the world. We cannot live as lukewarm Christians and know the blessing of God. God calls us to wholehearted, full commitment of our entire lives to the person of Jesus Christ. 
whether it be in our sexuality, whether it be in our use of money, whether it would be in all the areas of life that you might identify. That is the way of the followers of Jesus. Nothing else. And I want to finish with this because this is really good news. God wants you both wise and blessed. <laughs> you can't miss it, man. <laughs> when Solomon followed after the Lord, the, the Lord blessed him in incredible ways. Do you know what God wants to do in your life? He wants to bless you more than you can imagine. And he will as you take the wisdom that he offers to you and live it out in your life. I want to finish with one of these little proverbs that, that is noted in this book. It says this. Whoever pursues, this is Solomon speaking at a good time in his life. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. That's the word of God. Do you want that? I know I do. I want to live that great life. I want to know the blessing of God in large measure. In my experience, God has spoken his truth that we might apply it to our lives, that we might know his blessing. That is what he desires for you. And I say to you today, chase after that with everything in your being, and you will know it. Let's pray. Lord, we're blessed with Scripture. Oh, how incredibly blessed we are to have this book where we see in the lower stories of others parallels to our own lower stories and we are taught so clearly lord not only what you want for us but what it will produce lord i would pray for all of us gathered here today and lord i imagine and i hope that you have spoken clearly into the lives of some people gathered here who are living according to the world and not according to your word who are willing to compromise and have compromised as opposed to what you desire for them. Lord, who may be at this very moment contemplating compromise and are needing to make up their mind. Father, we pray that you'll move by your spirit in us as a church, that you will come and, 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 and motivate us to dig into scripture as never before. That, Lord, you'll take these words that are inspired in the Bible and you will teach us how to apply them to our lives as we learn them so that we become people of wisdom, so that we become dramatically different this, from this world, so that we become people who are blessed above all others. God, this is our prayer. Do your work in us. We're open. We desire it, Lord. We want it. And Lord, um, I'm going to pray a, a, a prayer of commitment now that I hope everyone here can pray with sincerity and with conviction. Um, Lord, for those who aren't there, there yet, I, 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 I pray that they won't actually pray it with sincerity, but Lord, for those, I, I give this opportunity that Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we as your people, we are wholly and fully committed to you. Our lives are given over to you unreservedly to do what you wish to do in us. Lord, here and now we commit ourselves to you. Reveal your will to us, Lord, and as you reveal your will to us, we will follow in it. We will obey what you have commanded because ultimately, Lord, that is worship to you. Because, God, we want to make an impact in this world that is profound. Because, God, we want to live in your blessing. So, Lord, we're yours, wholly devoted to you. Give us your wisdom, God. Lead us in your way, we pray.
we ask this in Jesus' name.